Well, there was a man and his family who were moving into a new neighborhood, and as they sat in their car in front of their house uh, waiting for the moving van to arrive, they saw a little boy across the street who was trying to ring a doorbell. And after several unsuccessful attempts, uh, the wife said to the husband, Honey, why don't you be a good neighbor and uh, go over and help that little boy? So the man crosses the street, he comes up behind, and uh, reaching over the little boy, he presses the doorbell, and he says, There you go, son. And this little boy looks up at the man and says, Thanks, mister. Now run. If you have already looked in your Bible at the passage we're going to be looking at in Luke 10.30, some of you might have nudged your neighbor and said, let's go, let's run. This is a, a passage that is so familiar to so many people. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan that maybe this morning you're saying, uh, we know the story. We know the application. I mean, the word Good Samaritan has become synonymous with somebody who helps another, Right. We have Good Samaritan hospitals. We have the Good Samaritan uh, Road Club that helps people when they break down. We've got, uh, good, we've got Sam Ministries uh, here in San Antonio. We have Samaritan's Purse, a Christian relief organization. On and on the list goes. If you watch a news report, if there's a hero of a story, they say he's the Good Samaritan. And so as we look at a story like this today, uh, we, we feel like we already know it, but I want you to remember we're looking at a passage of Scripture written in the first century. And when Jesus told this parable originally to that audience, it would have caused everybody to stop and take notice because there is no Jew in that day who would have put together the words good and Samaritan. They thought the only good Samaritan was a dead Samaritan. You remember that Samaritans were uh, a group of half-Jew, half-Gentiles that had come out of the, the period of captivity when the enemy removed the people of Israel and left a remnant and then moved in the enemy forces, and they intermarried. There was this half-breed that came out of that time period called Samaritans, and the Jews hated them. And so as Jesus tells this story that we're going to be looking at in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 this morning, I want you to look with fresh eyes as we read this story. In Luke 10.25, it tells us, And a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said to him, The one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Now, go and do the same. So you're thinking, okay, Roger, when I walk out of the doors of Wayside 
If I see a naked, half-dead man laying in a ditch on the side of the road, I'll uh, pour a little beer on his wounds. I'll throw him in the back of my pickup. I'll drop him at the nearest Motel 6 and pay his bill. Is that what the application is for us today? Well, yes, but no. Let's go a little deeper into the story. The first thing we need to look at is what prompted this passage to be written in the first place? What, What is going on? Well, if you look back at the first part of chapter 10, you remember there were several groups that had been sent out to do ministry. And as they were going out, they had, they had seen great success. Jesus reminds them their success had been a result of the power that Christ gave them. As you look at uh, verses 19 through 20, Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So Jesus says the real reason to rejoice is the gift of eternal life, that your names have been written in God's book of life. And as he's telling them this, he turns his back to the crowd, and Jesus says to the disciples, this inner group in verses 23 through 24, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. So Jesus is, is telling them, you are blessed. Not just because your names are recorded in heaven when you come to faith in me. You have this gift of eternal life. But he says, think of the things that have been revealed to you. And as we look at this passage, it says the prophets. These are men and women that God spoke to, revealed things to, the kings, the people who were in power and had everything. He says, you are blessed above them. Have you ever stopped to think how blessed we are living in the day that we do to have this, the Bible? Do you realize that you have more in your hands or on your iPhone or whatever uh, device you use to read the scriptures than the prophets of old, than the disciples themselves who got to see Jesus face to face have? We have more of God's revelation, past, present, and, and have been revealed to us the things that are to come in the future. And I wonder how many times we take advantage of that great privilege we have. How many times do you dive deep into God's word on your own? just to sit at his feet and see the things that God has revealed to us. As Jesus is telling this to the disciples as he's talking to them, verse 25 says, there's somebody in the the larger group that's looking on that, that wants in on the conversation. It says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and he put him to the test. Now, Jesus is having this, this sidebar with the disciples, and, and there's a lawyer in the group over to the side, and he stands up and he says, teacher, He interrupts the the private conversation that's taking place. J. Vernon McGee, who's a famous pastor from the past, uh, tells the story of two lawyers who were in court, and they did not like each other. They were bitter rivals, and this had been a really difficult uh, trial. And at one point, one lawyer stands up, and, and he points over at the opposing counsel, and he says, Your Honor, he's a thief. And the other guy stands up, and he points at the other lawyer, and he says, And he's a liar. And the judge slams his gavel down and he says, okay, now that the lawyers have identified themselves, let's get on with the the trial here. (laughs) Here we have this lawyer who stands up and he says, teacher. Now, the lawyer himself was the teacher. 
you to remember the lawyers were part of the religious leaders of the day. They were the scribes. They were the keepers of the law. They were the ones who would help to interpret the law. And so as this lawyer stands up, he says, teacher. He's identifying Jesus, kind of saying, hey, we're on equal terms here. Jesus, why are you excluding me? These are guys who were used to being the center of attention. They were the ones others listened to, and he wants in on the conversation. But what he doesn't understand is who Jesus is. He stands up and says, I have a question for you. Now, the Greek word that's used here literally means a test. It's a word that we saw earlier in Luke chapter 4 and verse 2 when it said that Jesus was taken into the wilderness and Satan wanted to test him. It says there in Luke 4, 2, Jesus was tempted. There's our word by the devil. This word carries the idea of trying, drawing one into battle. And Jesus, you'll remember, said in Luke four twelve, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so this lawyer says, well, we're, we're on equal grounds. We're, we're teachers. And so what Jesus does is he engages him uh, at the level this lawyer wants to talk about. So he says, uh, what, what does the, the word say? What does the Bible say? He says, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns to the law in verse 26. What is written in the law? How does it read to you? Now, if you were the lawyer, you're going, score. This is a, uh, just a lob over the plate. This guy's going, I'm an expert in the law. I'm going to knock this one out of the park. This is my profession. It's my moment to shine. So he says, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He's, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, from Leviticus 19.18. And in, in verse 28, Jesus answered and said, you've answered correctly. And the guy goes, yeah, I know. He's reaching in his pocket for business cards to start to pass them out to the crowd, right? I'm your guy. I'm the expert. But then Jesus drops a bomb on him because he says to him, do this and you will live. Now, Jesus is not saying here that you can work your way to God, that you can earn your way to heaven. It it would be like you coming to me if we were standing on the beach in California and we were looking out over the expanse of ocean going to Hawaii. And, and you said, hey, can I swim to Hawaii? And I'd say, well, go ahead. There's water from here to there. Are, are you capable uh, to swim unaided from California to Hawaii and make it? No. And it's the same thing with the law. The law, the, the 613 commandments that are found in the Bible... Nobody is capable of keeping them. Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is nobody other than Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man who has ever lived or will ever live, who can keep the law. We're all sinners, except for Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.16 tells us, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus... It says, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It's only through faith alone in Jesus Christ that we can be saved. And so as this lawyer, this religious guy, stands up and says, hey, I think I'm good enough to get to God, uh, Jesus says, okay, fulfill the law. Now, the guy at this moment says, I should have taken the fifth. 
I shouldn't have said anything because he's standing up in front of the crowd. He wanted the spotlight. Everybody's looking at him, and Jesus says, okay, do it. So look at what happens in Luke 10, 29. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So this guy being a, a, a you know, a, a accomplished attorney, he says, well, I'm just going to kind of move away from the issue and sidetrack over here and, and, and confuse the issue. But, but Jesus doesn't let him off the hook. He follows him. And he says, okay, well, you want to talk about that? Let's go that direction. And so then he tells this parable we just read. And in it, he says, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if you think about the geography of Israel in that time, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And that's where the temple is located as well. And then there's a city called Jericho. Now, Jericho is 17 miles away, and it's down this long, winding road that descends 3,300 feet to the Dead Sea. And if you think in terms of these two cities, uh, it was something that every Jew in that day understood what they were. Jerusalem, as I said, is the capital. It's where the temple is. And Jericho is what is called one of the priestly cities. When God divided the land among the 12 tribes of Israel, when they came into the promised land, God gave regional allotments to each of the tribes. But the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priest, he did not give a particular area. Instead, what he did was he gave cities within every area. And the reason for that is God said, I want a priestly presence among the people. And Jericho was one of the priestly cities. So as Jesus is setting this story up, everybody says, well, we know uh, what these places are. And as you're, you're reading it, uh, to catch their attention, he says in verse 31, and by chance. Now, every Jew would have said, what do you mean by chance a priest was going down the road? They traveled this highway every single day. This, this was the superhighway between one of their cities and where they worked. And so he says, and by chance a priest was going down that down that road. Now, that word down is important because it tells you the direction of travel. Remember, it goes 3,300 feet down. And it says, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, this road was called the Ascent of Adamin, which literally means the road of blood. And it was called that because I've walked that, that actual road. And there's these limestone cliffs, and as you're winding through this thing, there's all these little caves and cracks, and it was a place where robbers could hide very easily. You'd come around a blind corner, and, and they'd be recessed back into this area, and they'd jump out, and they'd beat you up and, and rob you. And so it was a very dangerous road, and it was called this, this road of blood for that reason. And now what he says is this, this priest is coming down the road, one of the things people will tell you if you read commentaries on this passage is they'll say when he saw the man lying on the side of the road, the priest didn't want to defile himself. He thought maybe this guy is dead. And the Levitical law said if you touch a dead person, well, then you become unclean. And this priest had to serve God so he couldn't be unclean. Now, remember I told you it says that he's going down the road. And that's important because it means he's finished his time of service at the temple and he's going home. If he were defiled, uh, he would have had to turn around and go back to the temple and offer a sacrifice. Um, some, uh, somebody else once said the priest passed by on the other side because he saw the guy had already been robbed, so it was too late for him to do that. Now, I can tell that joke as a pastor. You can't. <laughs> this guy is not traveling this road every day. Remember, the priest would go in groups 
they would be assigned a, a time to serve in the temple a couple times a year. And when they would move from their city to Jerusalem, they would be there for months at a time to serve. And so this guy has been deployed for a long time, and he's on his way home now. And as he comes down the road, like I said, the only thing that would have happened was it would have cut into his free time. It would have inconvenienced him and make him go back to the temple if indeed the guy was dead. Here was a priest who was used to offering sacrifices on behalf of everybody else. But in our passage, Jesus says he refuses to make a sacrifice of himself. Does that describe any of us here? Have we ever been faced with a need? And and what we immediately think is, what is this going to cost me? What is this going to cost me in in terms of time, money, resources, inconvenience? Here is a guy that was used to offering sacrifices for others, but he refused to make a sacrifice of himself. And sometimes that's, that's a struggle that we all face. And we, we see a need, and what we want to do is pass by it. We want to look the other way. And it's not always when we leave church. There are needs right here among you. The person sitting in the seat next to you uh, may have a, a struggle or a need this morning. And they came walking through the door of church this morning, And they were hoping someone, somebody would reach out to them and demonstrate the love of the Lord to them. And sometimes what happens is we come in and we see a person sitting alone. We see somebody who looks like they they need some help. But if we're honest, you know, internally what we're thinking is, I've had a tough week myself. And there's my friend over there that I haven't seen all week or maybe in a couple weeks and we think if I stop over here to, to talk to this person, I may, ne- may never get over there. Or I'm going to be, if I'm crossing the parking lot, I'm going to be late to worship and I'm going to miss those songs I love to sing. Or if I'm headed to one of my uh, Sunday school classes or adult Bible fellowships and I, and I get drawn off in a conversation, I may never get there. And these are things sometimes that, that we find ourselves not just out in the world, but, but right here at church. Some, some people around you are struggling at work or at school, at the base where they serve. You may be struggling yourself, and you walked in here this morning hoping somebody would just reach out to you. You know, friends, we live in a broken world where our enemy Satan is at work. The Bible tells us in John 10.10 that Satan has come to steal and kill and destroy And all around us are people who have been attacked and beaten. Sometimes we we self-inflict wounds, don't we, through our own addictions, through dumb decisions we've made. And what Jesus tells us is, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He offers us hope and healing. And many times he he does that through the hands and feet of others who call themselves his children. We've we've talked in the past about the one-minute moment. Many of you who have been here at Wayside know I I refer to uh, needing to make our entire church campus a welcome center. It's not just the greeters at the door, the ushers, as great as those men and women are. um, There are people that will bypass them or not see them, or they'll be in a parking lot, and, and they're here for the first time, and they don't know where to go. And, you know, they've got kids, and they're like, where do I check my kids in? How do I do that? And you can walk them over to the children's building and take them over to the kids' zone check-in and say, here, they can help you get registered. Uh, They may have students in middle school or high school, and you say, let me show you where that is on the second floor. And just walk them up there. Don't go, yeah, it's over there. or Yeah, over there in the Ivywood houses where a lot of our uh, adult Bible fellowships meet. Don't say, you know, it's kind of one of those houses. I mean, just take a few minutes and say, let me walk you over there. 
That makes a huge difference. Uh, this morning, uh, I, I met Maria sitting here at the front, and, and she was with Sylvie. And I said, oh, are you friends? And she said, we are now. Isn't that wonderful? They met this morning. And last week at Stone Oak, we had a lady who came to faith in Jesus. And it wasn't during the service. Uh, you know, Michael was talking about the gospel. And as, as Stone Oak was, was getting the message through our multi-site, through the, the satellite connection over there, there was a woman who heard the gospel. But it was when the service ended, there was a couple there who saw this lady who was alone, and they said to her, hey, would you like to go to lunch? And they went to lunch, and they were talking about the message, and that, that lady received the Lord over lunch after church. And it's because a couple that was there said, here's a person that we want to reach out to, and we want to just get to know a little better. When is the last time you said to somebody after church, hey, what are you doing? Would you like to go to lunch? Now, I'm not telling you that somebody's going to come to the Lord every time you go to lunch with them. That may happen. Try it. I don't know. But I do know that as you talk to people over a meal, you'll grow deeper in your understanding of them and what they're facing, and you can talk about your life, and, and at the very least, you're going you're gonna to grow deeper in community with one another, and you'll, you'll grow deeper in your own walk and help them possibly grow deeper in their walk with the Lord as well. Now, in our passage, the next person who comes along we see is a Levite. Levites also served in the temple. These were the, the doorkeepers, so to speak. They were those who, who oversaw the, the physical needs of, of the temple work. So here's a guy who also serves in the temple. He's a person who leads others in worship. Now, as I told you, these, these priests and Levites would be assigned for you know, a season of ministry, and so they would go in whole family groups up to Jerusalem. But do you notice in the passage, as Jesus sets up this parable, he he puts the individuals alone. Now, you didn't want to travel that road alone because of what just happened to this man in the story who was robbed. If you were by yourself, you could be an easier target. But I wonder if Jesus, as he's setting up this parable, uh, does this because he knows that we have a propensity sometimes to be different when nobody's watching. Does that describe any of us here? When others are around us and they see us, are we kinder? Are we more willing to help? Are we the same when we're by ourselves as when others are watching? And so here, this Levite, who also is used to leading other people in worship, sees this man, and he passes by on the other side. Now, in verse 33, Jesus says, But a certain Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. Now, remember, this would have caused everybody to stop and sit up and take notice. First of all, this was a road they were used to seeing priests and Levites on, but Samaritans lived in a different region. They, they did not like traveling through the Jewish territories, much less one where the religious uh, people would have been. So if this Samaritan is on the road, everybody's going, this is unusual. And it's really unusual for him to be the hero of the story. And so as you think in terms of a, a ladder... Priests in society were at the very top. So Levites would have been next in the societal order. Samaritans were the bottom. Remember, they were the hated people. Who is the missing person in our story? You've got a priest, a Levite. You're missing Joe Jew, right? The common everyday man. And so I think the, the passage doesn't tell us this explicitly, but I think the guy laying in the ditch represents the common person. 
And remember, he's been stripped naked. I don't want to get graphic here, but there's a sign of the covenant that Jewish men would have. And so everybody could have, told, could have known who this person was if Jesus wanted to make that clear. But I think he purposely leaves the ethnicity of this guy uh, in you know, just kind of an open question. Because it really doesn't matter, does it? God doesn't look at us based upon our color. You know, we live in a day and age where society is dividing us based upon our race. And that's tragic because we're all created in the image of God. In that day, there were Jews and Gentiles and there were Samaritans. And Jesus, you'll remember, Ephesians tells us, came to break down the dividing wall, the thing that separated Jews and Gentiles in the temple. It says he made them all into one. We as Christians are one body. God has brought us together. We're not to look at each other and say, well, you're Asian and I'm white and you're Hispanic and and he or she is is African-American or Middle Eastern. You know, God created us with diversity for a reason. Uh, we, We sometimes say, and I'm guilty of this saying, well, we should be colorblind, but we should see the diversity. God tells us in the book of Revelation, when we are in heaven in perfection, it says there will be every tribe and every nation and every tongue. God does not erase the distinctions. But what he did was he erased the division. And he brought us together into one people. And as we look at this story, that's what part of what Jesus is emphasizing, is there's not to be this, this hierarchy and, and this group is better than that group. What he says is, this is a person created in the, the image of God. They have value. And as this person is, is there in the ditch, the Samaritan, the hated person, comes along and he sees him and he has compassion. Now, as you think about your own life and the needs you encounter, are you moved by compassion to act or do you move away when you see a need? Here we see the Samaritan moves in to meet the needs. And it's going to be costly. It requires a lot of him. He, he just doesn't open up his roadside emergency kit, pull out a couple Band-Aids, and take care of the guy. What he does is in that day, again in the first century, they didn't have the, the modern medical conveniences we do. It says he sees this guy beaten, bloodied. He's, 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 he's injured severely. The Greek word used here is trauma. Have you ever heard trauma? We have trauma wards, right? This is for the people who are severely injured. So the wounds that this guy has are deep. And so as the Samaritan comes along, what he would have used for bandages is literally the clothing he's wearing. Clothes, remember, were very valuable in that day. And so he takes his robe and he starts tearing strips. He's literally shredding the clothing he's wearing. And it says to cleanse the wounds, he he takes his wine and he pours it in the wounds. It was an antiseptic. It was not only what they drank, but it was the antiseptic of the day. And then he took the oil, which was a staple of life. It was what they cooked with. It was what they anointed with. It was was what they would use for an ointment. And so he, he cleanses the wound. He anoints it. Then he wraps this guy up. And again, the price is going up and up and up in what this guy is doing to help this injured man. Remember, he's traveling. He's a foreigner in a foreign area far from home. He's carrying all the resources he thinks he needs for the trip. And as he's spending them on another person, it's diminishing what's available to him. So he's using up his staples, his food, his his clothing, the things that he has. And then it says he lifts the guy up and he puts him on his donkey. Now, remember, you're on this ascent of Adamine. These, these robbers are near. They've, they've already attacked this guy. 
And so the longer he's there lingering, taking care of this wounded man, the greater the chance they're going to return and attack him. And now as he's going down the road with his donkey and helping hold this injured guy on, he's having to move real slow, so he becomes a very easy target traveling the road. And finally he gets to an inn. You know, motels were not common in that day like we have. There were very few of these inns, and they were known to be places that were not great. The innkeepers were were people who usually ripped off individuals, and when a Samaritan walks in, the, the innkeeper's going, man, this is my lucky day. I will have no prick in my conscience cheating this guy. And so he says, I need a room. He carries the guy in. It tells us in the story the next day he leaves, which means he's up all night tending to this wounded guy. He stays up all night. This guy's probably hanging by a thread, these deep trauma wounds. So the guy's stabilized. He, He leaves some resources there. He goes to the innkeeper. It says he pays him two denarii. That's two full days' worth of wages. A denarius was what what a person made in that day. And then what he does is he pulls out his credit card, so to speak, and he runs it through the machine. He signs a blank slip, and he says, whatever this guy will need, you charge it to my account. And when I come back through, I'll settle the bill. So again, this innkeeper is going, man, I'm going to rip this guy off. And so this is sometimes why we don't get involved in helping other people. Because what happens is we don't know where is this need going to stop, right? It starts out here, and then there's this and this and this, and and before long we start saying, what is this going to cost me in terms of time and resources? But this Samaritan freely helps out. This, again, is why I'm going to ask you, when you see a need, do you move toward the need or do you move away from it? When you see that kid at school in the hallway that others are bullying or picking on, or the person who's alone at lunch? Do you say, you know, I'm not going to go over and talk to them because everybody else will see me doing that, and then it means I'm going to become in the outcast group as well? When you see that person at work that's struggling in the cubicle next to you, do you, do you reach out to help them, or do you see them as competition? Hey, if they're having a bad day or not making their numbers, it's a good thing for me because I'll get up and over that person. Are we those who are willing to move into a need when it's here at church? Do we come alongside when we see somebody that's hurting? Now, we are not a perfect church, but I am thankful that Wayside is a place where I think people are loved well. And I, and I know that this is a group of believers who, who reach out with the love of Christ all around the world. We have 44 missionaries that we support all around the world. We have 22 partner organizations that we come alongside here in the city locally. Uh, we, we help support the ministries of two pregnancy care centers to uh, help ladies in difficult, difficult situations make the decision to choose life for their baby. We support a ministry called SAM, San Antonio Metro Ministries, where we help those who are struggling uh, to come out of homelessness to get into their own homes. We, we reach into schools like Colonial Hills Elementary where we partner with uh, families that are struggling, with need tutoring or that are food insecure. Uh, there are countless ways that Wayside is at work reaching into this city and beyond. You know, Hurricane Harvey's gone. It's no longer part of the news cycle. But Houston is still trying to recover. 
and you may not be aware of this, but Wayside is continuing to help with those efforts. We've been partnering uh, with our denominational crisis response group called Reach Global, and they're headquartered out of a sister church in Houston called Grace Bible Church. And once a month, on the second Saturday of the month, we send a work team to go to Houston. Uh, we've had over about 100 people go so far from Wayside, men, women, boys, and girls, families and singles that have gone on these work groups. And, and the, the strategy there is not just in a, a one-and-done type of thing. What, what we've done through Reach Global and with, uh, the, through the vision of, of Grace Bible there in Houston is they've built a dormitory because they know that there are churches that will be sending work teams in long-term. And so they built a dormitory, and Wayside went in and helped them uh, put this, this uh, sleeping arrangements together. And we've, we've given them resources to purchase a work trailer that is now outfitted with tools. And when a group comes in, what they do is they, they send this work trailer that has all the supplies and equipment on it out to a site. And, and because they're there in the, in the community, they know where the needs are. And so if you want to be a part of one of these work teams, uh, on the second Saturday of each month, we meet here at the 410 parking lot at 6 a.m. And they caravan over to Houston. You work for the day and then return here by 8 p.m. on Saturday. There can be longer trips, but because we're close enough, that's what we do. And we find a lot of people are saying, I can give a Saturday to do this. Now, just don't show up at 6 a.m. here. Uh, We have an online form that we'd like you to go to. If you go to our website, waysidechapel.org, you can click on the serve opportunity. You'll see an interest form. Fill that out. It'll go to Pastor Stephen Lay, and he will get you information on when the next group is that you can be a part of. But you don't have to go to Houston to do what we're looking at in this passage today. And you don't have to literally put work gloves on. Because as I've already said, there are men and women, boys and girls, who are in the pew next to you, in the seat sitting next to you, that that have needs. It could be a stranger that you see on the street. Now use wisdom. Just don't throw money at somebody who's standing there with a sign that says they need help. If God moves you to help a person, well then go and buy food for them. Or, you know, one of the things I've done is had a Ziploc bag in my car and I'll have some McDonald's uh, coupons in it and I'll have some uh, gum and a, and a New Testament. And when I get to, uh, you know, one of these people on the side of the road, if I don't believe this person's going to misuse the resources, I can hand them the bag. And it meets a physical need and it also meets a spiritual need. Now, don't go buy a 20 and throw it out at them, you know, just kind of because, again, look at the person and say, here, God bless you. But are we those who are willing to, to inconvenience ourselves to say there's a cost to getting involved and help. If you think the cost is too high, I want you to look at the cross. And I want you to remember what Jesus did for us. Because he saw our need. And he was willing to leave his throne in heaven and to come to earth, to take on flesh and blood, to walk among us, to get into the mess of our world, knowing that he would ultimately go to that cross and give his life to die for us. Romans 5.8 says he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew there was a cost. And yet because of his great love, he reached out for us to, to save us from our sins. And as we leave today, as we come to near the end of this passage, we see it's not just the example of the Samaritan to follow, but we have the greatest example of Jesus Christ. In verses 36 through 37, Jesus asks the question, 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? When it says, which of them proved, the the form of the verse here, the, the verb that's used is in the active voice. So what this literally says in the original text is, which of these do you think has become a neighbor to this man? Which one became a neighbor? He says there was no geographic proximity. There was no social connection. But he saw a need and he became a neighbor to this man. As you think in terms of your own life, as you think in terms of the the sphere of influence that God has placed you, is there somebody you can become a neighbor to? Somebody who sits near you at school, somebody who works with you, somebody in your neighborhood or a stranger on the street? As Jesus asks this question in verse 37, the, the lawyer says, well, the one who showed mercy to him. He, he can't even bring himself to choke out those words and say it was the Samaritan. He says, well, I guess it was the guy who helped. And Jesus said, go and do the same. And God tells us this morning to go and do the same. He says, don't be like a priest and make a sacrifice of everything but yourself. Don't be like the Levite and leave God here at church when you walk out the door. He says, be like the Samaritan. Better yet, be like the Son of God who came and showed his, his great love for us as he died to save us from our sins. We join me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, as we look at this passage one that is very familiar to us. May it never lose its impact. May we never lose sight of what took place in this story where an injured man found grace where he would have least expected it. And for us, Lord God, those who have come to know your son Jesus, we too have received grace from the very place we would have least expected it, from the very God we offended through our sins. And yet, Jesus, you didn't leave us lost and dying on the side of the road. But you showed your love as you left your throne in heaven to come and ultimately give your life on the cross to save us from our sins. As those who have been recipients of your great grace, Lord Jesus, would we also demonstrate your love to others? Would we be those who are willing to leave our comfort zone? Would we be those who are willing to make a sacrifice of our time or resources? to be your hands and feet, to reach out with the love to others who so desperately need to know who you are and what your love really is. So would you help us, Lord, as we leave here today to go and do the same. We pray these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus.